Well, this morning, we're going to continue on in our, our study of Acts, and I want to encourage you to grab a Bible and uh, follow along as we look at Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. For those of you who are not uh, visual learners, sometimes it's best just to maybe not follow along. I know I don't say that often. But sometimes just the auditory words of a story, hearing them sink in deep. So if you need to hear the story, listen carefully. These are the words of the Lord. Starting at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. And Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. William Carey. Does anybody know, does that name ring a bell? William Carey. No. William Carey. Anybody? Give me what you know, Katie. It doesn't have to be perfect. What do you know about William Carey? A missionary, yes. Very good. Anything else? Well, William Carey was a a son of an English shoemaker. 
starts off with really interesting facts, you know, about shoemakers. And he was born in 1761, and after his conversion at the age of 18, he began preaching in some small Baptist chapels and supporting himself along the way with, with the trade that he learned from his father. And what caught him and excited him was he re- read Captain Cook's uh, voyages, the stories. This Captain Cook, if you don't know your history, was an, an English sail uh, captain who sailed the seas. And it was not just the Atlantic, but the specific, Pacific, the specific Pacific, and all over. And he made multiple trips. He, captain Cook was uh, finally killed in Hawaii, a great place, I guess, to die, and, and vacation nowadays. But it, reading about his voyages piqued his interest in foreign missions. And he continued to study the scriptures, and he finally became convinced that the central responsibility of the church should be foreign missions. The central responsibility of the church should be foreign missions. Now, in our American church, that doesn't really sit well, does it? Our central responsibility for the church is our children's ministry, right? or our praise and worship, or our central responsibility is, is, are those things. But he became so deeply convinced that his, it, it changed his whole life. And so for some of us, it seems extremely radical. But in his day, it was even revolutionary. You see, he grew up in a time where hyper-Calvinism was at its peak. Hyper-Calvinism said that... Uh, at the time of the Great Commission, it was meant only for the apostles. The Great Commission was meant only for the apostles, and it had been fulfilled in, in, these, in the previous times. And so the, if the heathen rejected the gospel at that time, they will have to wait their, their fate on the judgment day. Sucks to be you. Kind of mentality. Hyper-Calvinist. But Carrie, who was also a Calvinist, dared to ask whether or not Jesus command was to make disciples was even for us today and when he was sharing this this his compassion for people of sharing the gospel with the lost an old minister accused him of being a miserable enthusiast when he shared it even further one pastor said to him young man sit down when God pleases to convert the heathens he will do it without your aid or mine When Kerry actually proposed going himself to India as a missionary, his father exclaimed, is William mad? Is he crazy? Is he off his rocker? But Kerry went to India, where he labored for 40-some years. He supervised and edited uh, translations of the Bible into at least 36 languages. He published grammars and dictionaries. He labored to abolish widow-burning Yes, widow burning and uh, the killing of infants. And he studied botany to pr- uh, promote an agricultural improvement in, in his area. In a sermon that he preached before he left England, Carey uttered the now famous words, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. He's often called the, the father of modern missions. 
in our study of the expansion of the gospel, in the, as we look at the Acts, we have seen Philip take the gospel into the Samaritan territory. This was unheard of, much like William, William Carey, who, who was taking the gospel to India, and it, people thought he was absolutely mad. In the same way, Philip going into the Samaritan territory was considered absolutely mad. He was considered crazy, but God blessed his efforts. God blessed his efforts as many came to faith in Christ and were baptized. We don't, we don't know how long Philip was in the, that, that area. We don't know the time frame, but we, it seems that right in the middle of this amazing revival that was taking place in Samaria, the Lord sent an angel to Philip and told him to leave that region. That would be like Missio Dei just growing daily, just multiplying and people coming to Christ, people being baptized in new faith. Their, their eyes are open up and God says, Paul, now I want you to leave. What, are you mad, God? That makes absolutely no sense. And then he tells him to go to a remote region, a desert, and wait. God arranged a meeting there between Philip and a man, an Ethiopian eunuch who was traveling home after worshiping in Jerusalem. And God opened this man's heart and Philip led him to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, in, in biblical times, Ethiopia was a region that was uh, kind of covered the, the south of Egypt and the, the north of the Sudan. So this man was probably a Sudanese eunuch and he was a dark-skinned man. We don't, we don't know that for sure, but whether or not he was even a, a physically a eunuch or if he separated himself from uh, his desires for uh, sexual uh, encounters, we don't, we don't know. If you want to do more research on what it means to be a eunuch, I don't recommend it, but you might understand a little bit more about this man's plight. He was the secretary of the treasury. He was a high-ranking official for the queen. He was a man that was well-known. And this story, just much like the, the William Carey story, showed that God is sovereign in evangelism, but also that people must be obedient, obedient to his command. And this is going to be our, our theme for the morning. Our theme is that God evangelizes the world through obedient Christians who explain the gospel to seeking souls. God evangelizes the world through obedient Christians. Obedient Christians who explain the gospel to seeking souls. So we're going to see kind of four elements of the, the conversion of a, a soul. First is the Holy Spirit's initiative and preparation. Holy Spirit's initiative and preparation. We see the word of God penetrating, number two, the hearts and minds of sinners. We see, number three, obedient Christians who explain the gospel message. Explain it. And number four, we see that there is a response of obedient faith in a person who is hearing the message. So here, we're going to start off number one. God sovereignly takes the initiative in the salvation of souls. It is God. God's sovereignty in the salvation of the Ethiopian man is a dominant theme here. He sent an angel to tell Philip to go to a particularly remote place. 
he arranged for Philip and this man's paths to cross. Did you see it already? It's like, okay, I'm going to send you out into the desert, into kind of no man's land. You have no idea where you're going to go, but the Spirit of the Lord said, get up and go. And then a whole entourage of people are crossing through the desert just as Philip is coming through there. He prompted Philip to go up to the man's chariot. And at that moment, God had providentially arranged for the man to be reading what? From Isaiah. This particularly place, particular place. And not just from any part of Isaiah, but from Isaiah 53. You couldn't pick a better place for opening uh, for the gospel from the Old Testament than this place. And at the right moment, after the man trusted in Christ, they came upon some water. Just happened to come up along some water. And the man was baptized. Do you see the providential hand of God? God is sovereign in all these things. The calling, the, the meeting, the, the discussion, the, the response, all these things of salvation. God is providentially moving. He is sovereign over these things. And at, at that moment, the Spirit of God did, did what? He snatched up Philip and sent him away. Just snatched him up. So God is sovereign in getting Philip to this Ethiopian, Ethiopian man and also taking him away. God is deeply involved in the story. As all the scriptures proclaim, it is God who sovereignly works to save his elect. So I want you to notice two things in this process. First, God is not always efficient as we want him to be. In our North American system, we, we kind of build structures so that there's efficiency, right? We, we, we want the gears of your business, the gears of your family thing, uh, just to be working and to be smooth and automatically this happens and then this happens if you're in charge of any kind of business or any kind of organization where there's people you want to know what is the process and you want everything to be just smooth and there's the next thing that happens the next thing that happens the next thing and it's just smooth and you can just jump in at any time but God doesn't quite work this way you see this Ethiopian man traveled some thousand miles from his home to Jerusalem it took a thousand mile trek and after this long journey and considering that he probably stayed in Jerusalem for a while, why didn't the Lord direct one of the apostles who were in Jerusalem to meet up with this man? Wouldn't that just make sense? And then while he was in Jerusalem, where the hotbed of Christianity, you know, now it's kind of moving out, but, you know, that's where the super apostles are. He could have been discipled for some time. They could have sat down and told the whole story of Christ. They could have laid out all the scriptures. They... it would have been convenient. It would have been efficient. Meanwhile, Philip could have continued his fruitful ministry in Samaria. Later, we, later, Philip does settle in Caesarea where a centurion needed to hear the gospel. But rather than send Philip who was there, what did God do? If you know anything about the story that's coming up in chapter 10, instead of using Philip who was in Caesarea, to minister to this centurion, who did God send? Peter. 
God, where's your efficiency in this? It doesn't seem to make sense. You see, we cannot view world missions or even local evangelism as efficient, American, uh, an efficient American business enterprise. It just can't work that way. God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes he does things that seem like a waste of money or a waste of personnel or just a waste of time. Our job is not to question God and what he's doing, but rather to be obedient. William Carey must have wrestled with God and God's efficiency when at the age of, after, after 19 years of laboring for the Lord, a warehouse fire destroyed 10 complete Bible translations. 19 years of laboring, 10 complete translations destroyed. His massive multilingual dictionary, two grammar books, and all the tedious uh, styled type fonts that he created. But God used this tragedy to spread the word about the mission. And in two months, enough gifts had poured into the mission to pay for the huge losses. God works in mysterious ways that are not always efficient. Second thing to note is that God's world target is the world. Foreign missions was not something that the church or a brilliant strategist came up with. It's God's program. The world is God's program. God's target. He commanded Philip to evangelize this Gentile man from Ethiopia. Someone even observed as I was studying that that in Acts chapter 8, we see a conversion of a son of Ham. In Acts chapter 9, we see the son of Shem. And then later on, in Acts chapter 10, with the Roman centurion, the son, a conversion of the son of Japheth. And some of you are going, where are you going with this? Well, this represents the three major divisions of humanity after the flood. Luke is showing us that the gospel is going out to all the nations just as he commanded. Shem, Ham, Japheth, three major people groups. And the gospel early on is going out in power. In Revelation 5.10, 5.9, John sees before the throne of the four, the four living creatures and 24 elders singing this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and every people, and every nation. Until all whom Jesus Christ has purchased with his blood are brought to salvation, we must, as Paul puts it, in 2 Timothy 2, endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We must endure all things for the sake of the gospel, for sharing the gospel. Second point is that God uses his word to penetrate the minds and hearts of sinners. God uses his word People can discern the existence of God and some of his attributes from, from nature. 
God reveals himself through nature and, and the structure and how everything worked. But they can only learn how to be saved. How? Through the revelation of God's word. Which tells the good news about Jesus. We live in a culture where, man, if we could just love people with our deeds enough. Man, maybe we could love them into the kingdom. Well, it's a great thing. We, we need to show people the love of Christ. But deeds absence of, absent of words is still leading people to death. Knowledge of the one and true God may have spread this man's country, spread out to this man's country some 900 years before when the Queen of Sheba returned from her visit to Solomon. It was all, there was also this Jewish colony that was in Alexandria at the time, hundreds of miles north along the, the Nile River. The truth of God could have spread south from there. At any rate, the, this Ethiopian eunuch was interested enough in seeking God to make this long and difficult journey to Jerusalem. He must have seen somewhere along the way that, man, this is powerful stuff. I need to learn more about this. He probably ran into the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious rulers of the day and just found that the, the systems were highly politicized, filled with power. They didn't know the God whom they professed to follow. And as a, as a Gentile, the Ethiopian eunuch could not have entered beyond the court of the Gentiles. And it's hard to imagine that his experience in Jerusalem could meet the hunger of his heart. So why? But at least this man came all the way there and walked away with a scroll. He probably would have spent a huge fortune in purchasing this scroll. They're rare. And the Jewish people just don't give those away. For it is the word of God. But he had the word of God and he was educated enough to, to start reading it. And he could not wait to get back to Ethiopia to start reading it. He was writing in this entourage and this bumpy road in this chariot trying to read along the way. He started reading as he sat in the carriage, plodding through this, this desert all the way back to Egypt. So finally, he got to this spot and he was reading it, presuming that he started at the beginning. He was almost through the entire book and he was reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8 when Phil came alongside. Once it was explained to him, God used these prophetic words about Jesus to bring this man to salvation. Do not underestimate the power of God's word to bring people to salvation. First Peter 1 says, Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 How are we brought to faith? Through the living and abiding word of God. 
James 1.18 says, Of his own thought he br brought us forth by the word of truth. The word of God. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. Paul tells uh, Timothy that from childhood he had been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. God's word is powerful enough to save sinners. As we read scripture, as we are meeting with people, we need to encourage people to read with us. Show them the word, read the word with them, especially the gospels. Walk through the life of Christ with people. When you share the gospel, have people read Bible verses for him or herself. God uses the Word of God to bring sinners to salvation. That, men, women, that is why it is critical that we understand, learn, digest, meditate upon it. That's why, men, we, we are doing this, this studying together through the book of Colossians. It's not just because, well, it's a thing that churches should do. It is not just for the sake of you. It is for the sake of sharing your faith. Becoming far more familiar and comfortable with the Word of God. Accountability in men's group is not enough. Accountability through the Word of God, as it is revealed to us, brings us to repentance. If it brings us to repentance, it brings people to salvation. Number three, God uses obedient Christians to explain the gospel from his word to seeking souls. Although God sovereignly works to bring people to salvation, he doesn't do it apart from obedient people. He uses you and me. And the, the irony here is that Philip was the chief evangelist here. He was a frontline man. He, he seemed to be indispensable. And God said, listen, go. I want you to go. Philip is in the midst of something absolutely exciting. And if it was me, I would have said, you know, why doesn't the angel just go there himself? Or, you know what? Um, what about all those apostles sitting back in Jerusalem? Can't you dispatch one of them? I'm in the middle of something right here. Or, okay, listen, God, I'll go. But can you wait a week? Until the season is a little bit easier for me? Until things slow down and it's a little bit more convenient? I'll go then. But as far as we know, Philip did not raise up any objections. None. The angel said, hey, rise up and go. The next thing that you see is uh, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise up and go towards south from Jerusalem to Gaza, and this is going to be a desert place. Verse 27, and he rose and went. Giddy up, go. Get up and go. This, Philip had no clue what God had in store for him, but he went obediently. No clue. Have, have you, as it, has anything ever been prompted on your heart and you're going, I have no idea why I need to start talking to this person or why I should be here, but I really feel like I need to be 
saying this to you or I need to share this with you? Or Have you ever had that so heavy where it's just like, this is just odd. I, how are you doing? And all of a sudden that person just, <clears throat> just breaks down in tears and cries and says, this is where I'm at. My, my husband left me. My wife is this. My kids. And I, I've lost my job. And you're going, Obedience. Obedience. One of the things from our missional community this week that has just been kind of haunting, we've been talking about the the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. As we were discussing, we talked about um, why is it that we don't seem to hear the Holy Spirit prompting us and leading us and guiding us. And so much of it is because we're not present. We're not present. We're not listening. We're, we're busy. Our lives are just cluttered with stuff and activity. We've got uh, these day timers that are filled with, okay, here's the next thing, do this, 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 this. And we, we're so busy in the stuff that we're not present to hear the Lord's leading and prompting. And the encouragement this week was be fully present. Be present where you're at. In your job, in your relationships, in your your casual conversations, be fully present. What is the Spirit saying in that moment to do and go? Rise up and go. I'm going to rise up and went. Giddy up, here we go. And so what did Philip do? Recognizing Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, he said, do you understand what you're reading? You know, this timeliness? As he's, Philip is running along this chariot and the guy, hey, I, I hear you reading this out loud. Do, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch's going, how can I understand unless somebody guides me? And Philip's going, okay, Lord, uh, I get it now. I guess that's me. That's why you told me to go into this desert region. I, I need to be totally available. And his question was not so much about the interpretation of the words, although it's a bit difficult to understand. So Philip started sharing. You know, it, the unit going, okay, what is this about? What is this, what is this storyline about? Is it, is it about the, the author? Is it about Isaiah? Is it about a people, a nation? Or is it a pointing towards this, this Messiah that all of Israel seems to be anticipating. So what did Philip do? Philip had no doubts what this was about. Beginning from this scripture, what did he do? He told the good news about Jesus. Beginning with this scripture. And he, even Philip knew, because you know, he heard this verses 7 through 8, but he knew verse 6. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has gone his own way. And Philip's going, this is one of these sheep who has gone astray and gone his own way. God, I get it. I get it. And Philip would have then explained that we have all sinned. And because of our sin, none of us can merit eternal life by our own effort, our own deeds. Therefore, What did God do to satisfy his holy justice? Out of love for us, he provided a substitute who bore the penalty for us. And who was that? Jesus. 
Jesus Christ bore God's wrath for our sin on the cross. And he shared the gospel story. Through this scripture, he shared the good news of Jesus Christ. Perhaps Philip went to other scriptures as well. But whatever scripture he used, Philip told the man about Jesus Christ, crucified and risen and ascended as the only Savior from God's righteous judgment. He also explained that we must put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ personally as our own sin bearer. And the eunuch prepared by God responded in faith. Every Christian should be able to do what Philip did here. Every Christian. Every man, every woman, every child must be prepared to do what he did. Starting with any scripture or any spiritual topic, we should be able to preach Jesus Christ to a seeking soul. If a person comes up with evolution and just, okay, well, hey, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever, you should be able to say, you know, that's a really interesting topic and there's, there's a lot of competent scholars out there, but maybe something we can talk about at a later time. But the question which is far more important than evolution is this. Who do you think Jesus Christ is? Who, do you, who is Christ? Whether the person brings up the problem of suffering or the problem with, with unbelievers never being able to hear the gospel and therefore, you know, going to hell. After a brief answer, steer the conversation back to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The person needs to know who Jesus is, what he came to do, his own desperate condition for Jesus Christ, and how to receive Jesus Christ by faith. Everything else at that point is peripheral. Peripheral. If Jesus Christ is who he claims to be, Christianity is true. If he is not who he claimed to be, and Christianity is a fraud. It all centers on him. So we see that God is the one who sovereignly takes the initiative in, in salvation and evangelizing the world. He uses his word to penetrate to the hearts of hardened sinners like you and me. We see that he uses obedient Christians to explain the good news but lastly, we see that God sovereignly works in the hearts of sinners to impart new life and obedient faith. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says this, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We are all like sheep who have gone astray. Everyone has turned. Everyone to his own way. John 3, listen to this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. None of us, none of us are naturally inclined toward the gospel. None of us. I don't care how good you are, how many good deeds you do, apart from Christ, 
you are dead. And there is nothing good in you. Sinners do not seek after God. Therefore, salvation is all of God, all of his grace, and not from anything good in my heart or your heart that would seek after him. No one can boast that I came to God on my own. This means that whenever we see a man like the Ethiopian eunuch who is seeking after God by traveling to Jerusalem and reading God's word, God is already at work in this man's heart. When people are having a conversation with you about Christianity, God is at work in their hearts. The question is, are you going to be obedient? It's God who is at work. God is desiring to change them through the word being shared through his people. We can infer that God graciously imparted new life and obedient faith to this man when we heard Philip present presented the gospel. Apparently, inferring was not enough for, some, for an early scribe. Because if you're reading this carefully, you're going to be noticing that in here a verse is missing. Did anybody notice this beside Abby and my wife? Did anybody notice that a certain verse is missing in here? It's in your Bible on the footnotes. Oh, yeah. Did you notice that uh, verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38. Okay. 36, 38. Something is missing here. Right? Follow the footnote. In my Bible, it says some manuscripts add all or most of verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Some early scribe who was copying the manuscript of, of Acts was going, man, we, we need to add something here. So they added the eunuch's confession. They added his confession. This verse was not in any of the earliest and best manuscripts of Acts. The style was not in the same style of Greek, according to the scholars. It's not Luke's style of writing. But even though the verse is not in the original, was not in the original Acts, the eunuch must have given some kind of confession of his faith in Jesus Christ, or Philip would not have baptized him. The difference between this man's genuine faith and Simon's false faith was that the eunuch's faith came from God, whereas Simon's faith came from himself. The act of baptism is a public confession of what God has done in a person's heart through Jesus Christ. Either the man knew the meaning and significance of baptism, or Philip had to explain it. We don't know. But they went down into the water together. <laughs> providentially God provided the water as they're traveling through the desert <laughs> look there's water uh, well what should we do that's right should I not be baptized yes you should and what an exciting moment 
He responded. As God stirred in his heart, as Philip is sharing the gospel, you must respond in faith through Jesus Christ. And a testimony of your public confession of faith is this. You must be baptized. There's water. Should I not be baptized? Yes, you must. They went into the water together. And I love this. And as they were coming up out, what happened? It wasn't the long journey of a discipleship relationship together. It wasn't, hey, why don't you come over to my house? We've got a missional community. We can hang out together. It's really a great thing. My wife does some great cooking. And uh, you'd really enjoy my friends, the apostles. At that moment, Philip was snatched up. And what did the Ethiopian eunuch do? He rejoiced. He praised God. He wasn't going, where did that guy go? This is really weird. What did he do? He, there was probably shock, but he rejoiced and praised God for what he had done in his life. God's timeliness. Wow. He was, he was all the way over there, and he showed up here. God, our paths crossed. I was reading this scripture. He explained the scripture to me. He shared about how to put faith in Jesus Christ. I responded by saying, I, shouldn't I be baptized? Water showed up. I should be baptized. And just as this all happened, Philip is snatched up, not to be seen again. And I just have great joy. Great joy. Where did Philip find himself? Azotus. 20 miles north of Gaza. And although there was no direct command from God, what did he keep on doing? He kept on, as he was going, preaching the gospel. He wasn't a, all right, I did my job. God's given me a vacation by snatching me from the desert and putting me over here in Azotus. No, he kept on preaching, kept on preaching. All the towns in that area kept on sharing the gospel. So what does this mean for us? If evangelizing the lost, especially for other cultures and other nationalities, were up to our abilities, it would be absolutely hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. But thankfully, evangelism depends on our sovereign God who is deeply at work through our obedience. Through our obedience. In his book, uh, John Stott wrote uh, his book called The Preacher's Portrait. He shows that according to the Bible, lost people are both sightless and lifeless, blind and dead. He asked this question in the book. How can we reach him? Are we so foolish as to imagine that we can somehow, by our own argument or rhetoric, induce within him either spiritual understanding or life? No. It was not given to us to give sight to the blind or life to the dead. God alone is the author of light and life. Later, he, he cites Charles Spurgeon, who used to say over and over to himself as he climbed into his pulpit, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost. He would say that to himself. People would wonder, what is he muttering? What is he muttering? As he climbs up into his pulpit, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I 
believe in the Holy Ghost. Spurgeon wrote this, the gospel is preached in the ears of all. It only comes with power to some. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher, otherwise men would be the converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning, otherwise it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach till our tongues rotted, till we should exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless there were mysterious power going with it. The Holy Ghost changing the will of man. Oh, sirs, we might as well preach to stone walls as to preach to humanity unless the Holy Ghost be with the Word to give it power to convert souls. I thank God that it's not because of all my studies and all my learnedness that people might come to Christ. I thank God that it's not because I'm, I'm eloquent, that I can wax and wane and people are, oh, that was really nice. I am thankful that it is the power of God that changes men's and women's and children's hearts and souls for eternity. And I am glad that he uses simple people like fishermen, second-class people, that he used shepherds to first share that the Messiah has come, that God uses second-class people like you and me Nobody in here yet has a doctorate. Yet. Which puts us all at a certain tier of education. God uses us all. No matter where you are at, God desires that we all be obedient in sharing the gospel to reach all people for the sake of the gospel. The same Holy Spirit who used Philip to reach the Ethiopian eunuch and who used Spurgeon to reach thousands with the gospel wants you and me to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the Lincoln Way area and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. He desires to use us. With William Carey, let's obediently expect great things from God. Expect Him. At the same time, with William Carey, let's attempt great things for God. As we take the gospel, we all take the gospel to a lost world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that this week that you, in your sovereign way, present each and every person here with opportunities. Sovereign opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. May we be like Philip who opens our mouths and begins with Scripture by telling the good news of Jesus Christ. Every one of us, Lord. Lord, there's, there's brothers and sisters, there's uncles, there's aunts, there's cousins, there's neighbors, there's pe 
people that we run in, into grocery stores and gas stations. Lord, would you give us ears that are listening to your Holy Spirit lead and direct us. Lord, we, we know that your Spirit at the right time will give us the right words for those moments. So take away our hearts of fear, our, our sense of inadequacy, because Lord, we are absolutely inadequate without you. May we rely on you more fully, Jesus. Be directed by your Spirit. May we be fully present in each and every moment that you give us with our children, with grandchildren, with neighbors. God, use us. May we expect great things from you. Harvest is plentiful. And Lord, may we attempt great things, knowing that the workers are few, and that you call us to be obedient workers in your, your fields to reap a great spiritual harvest from every corner of the world. Use us, Lord. Send us out. May we have hearts like Philip that say, you, Lord, send me. You tell me to rise and go, man, I, I'm going I'm to get up and go. And God, as we come to the, this table, the, our commun- time of communion, your supper that you have given to us as a, a remembrance of your life and your death, where you spiritually nourish us. Lord, would you nourish us this morning through the ministry of your word? Would you nourish us by your ongoing presence in your, our lives? Would you feed us with this meal in such a way that it encourages us to go out. Lord, there's something more than just a meal. It's a meal that propels us. As we remember the gospel, we go faithfully, expecting and attempting great things from you. Use us, God, for your glory's sake, Pray this in Jesus' name.